This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone in Patriots Nation, and welcome back to the latest and always greatest, today might even be extra greatest edition of Six Rings and Football Things, brought to you by WEEI, Odyssey, and 2400 Sports. Per usual, you got me, your old pal Nick Fitzy Stevens, alongside Andy Jumbo Hart, and today, Andy, we've got a very special guest in the neighborhood, because we are joined by one of the authors of The Drafting Stage, creating a marketplace for NFL draft picks. He is one of the sharp, bright, analytical minds behind the analytical wizardry that is known as poof, as we like to say sometimes here on the show, PFF pro football focus, the one and the only at PFF underscore Brad, Brad Spielberger joins the show today to drop some knowledge and give us some thoughts. What the world of number crunchers outside 495 and 128 thinks about the New England Patriots. Brad, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me and appreciate the uh, the intro. Oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're all about great intros. What we usually like to do is peak with the intro and then it's diminishing returns the rest of the sure, downhill sure. from there. That fits. That fits. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, so listen, I just wanted to start off. Uh, let's take a step back to see where we were and how we did before we get into where we are now and what's going on. So I saw a tweet the other day, and I understand that DVOA and PFF are two completely different analytical numerical realms who may share some parts of the concentric analytical circle. But I saw Mina Kimes puts out this tweet the other day saying that somehow the Patriots finished first in weighted defensive DVOA, I want to say, for the 2022 season, which kind of caught me off guard. Um, you know, we knew the defense was good, but I wasn't sure it was that good per se. So where does PFF stand on how the Pats did last year, offensively and defensively, especially considering how just dysfunctional, if we're being kind, the offense was under Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. Yeah, funny you mentioned that tweet, actually. I was going to interact with it. So there's a, a metric that I think applies to any analytical, quote-unquote, person, um, which is EPA per play or expected points added per play, um, kind of in the lexicon for anyone. And really what that is is, you know, context and situation adjusting, where the simplest example – Four yards on first and 10 is not as valuable as four yards on third and four, right? So, like, you take all that into account and kind of adjust everything. The Patriots defense was number one in EPA per play allowed for the season last year. But I think the big thing with them, when you dive into the numbers, they absolutely demolished and dominated a lot of bad quarterbacks. And some of the better quarterbacks were able to move the ball against them and, and score some points. Look, they had games like the Lions game where a high-powered offense got blanked. Like, yeah, you know, it wasn't just that. But I do think... You know, what we've look, looked at a lot is 
defensive performance often can just be dictated by how good was the quarterback and offense you were playing against. So I think they are a good unit. I think that we'll get into the, the additions this offseason. And they made a lot of nice ones, particularly in the draft. Um, but if you ask me who was the number one defense in the NFL last year, I'm not sure I would answer the New England Patriots, even though I do think they're up there. As for the offense, look, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest offseason addition might simply be going from Matt Patricia to Bill O'Brien um, and just having more of a cohesive, I think, fluid, um, an offense that's just not as choppy. And, and I think Mac Jones, his frustration to a degree was warranted. I, I think even personnel usage is simple as why was Kendrick Bourne in the doghouse Can he, when he's clearly a very productive and good player? Um, a lot of things. So anyway, it wasn't great. I and mean, the offensive line can be a little bit better as well. Uh, and, and they need to have just a better run offense with Bill O'Brien. So, Brad, one of the things we talk a lot about on this podcast, both leading up to the draft, free agency, or just in general, is the Patriots lack a number one offensive weapon. They are one of the few teams in the NFL that it's really hard to say who's their go-to guy. And we lived Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski and going back to Moss. Like Brady always had that guy or often had that guy. In terms of a an analytical or a statistical perspective, how much does them not having that elite go-to option on the offense affect what they're able to do offensively compared to the rest of the league? Yeah, it's funny. I think the reason I have my job, honestly, the genesis of it all was being fascinated by like the Deion Branch days and the early Patriots days and how I think you could argue they didn't have like an alpha wide receiver, but then he kind of realized like, yeah, they've kind of just replaced getting these amazing tight ends to be their go-to guy in the red area on third down in key situations. And that's a cheaper position. So it was kind of like, you know, money balling the entire operation. But I do think it matters. I think right now you have every style of player and they're trying to kind of like piece together a number one with, okay, our contested catch guys, Devontae Parker, our speedy guys, you know, maybe Tyquan Thornton, you know, this, that, the other. But I think it does matter. I, I think on money downs and tough situations when it's maybe, you know, a big third down or, or Mac is kind of scrambling, keeping a play alive, to not have that guy that in your mind you just say, you know what, like that's my go-to guy. I'm going to let him make a play. I'll live or die by that player. I think it does have an impact, um, and they still don't really have that guy after this offseason. Again, a lot of nice pieces, but but not that number one alpha type dude. Yeah, there was talk all offseason long of uh, potentially going after one like a DeAndre Hopkins. Does he still, per your numbers, uh, have what it takes to be a number one receiver? I know like in only nine games last year, he had over 700 yards receiving bunch of catches, three touchdowns. And that was coming from the likes of like you, me and Andy, AKA Trace McSorley, Colt McCoy, and you know, half of a, yeah. Okay. Yeah, all right. Trace McSorley's one of us now. Not for long. <laughs> I, uh, he puts the not for long in NFL. Trust me, Andy. Okay. I give Malik Cunningham a far better chance of being yeah, the third quarterback on the Patriots this year. But like, what did DeAndre Hopkins help the Patriots? Like, we all think like there's the star power of like, yeah, I want D hop. I want a number one receiver, but do the numbers bear out that he would be a very worthy to at least worthy addition to the offense? So I don't think they would trade for his current contract, which I guess is a bit of a different conversation. It's obviously not just football, but I mean, the Patriots are not in the business of giving up picks to get a 30 year old with a 19 and a half million dollar salary. That's why they're the Patriots in a lot of ways. So, but look, if he does maybe get cut, you know, because Arizona cannot find a suitor, I don't know about the relationship with Bill O'Brien and DeAndre Hopkins. I, I won't speculate on that. I don't think it's the greatest. But, but yeah, like, yes, he's still over the last three seasons, even with injuries and the suspension, is a top 10 graded wide receiver for us. Like you mentioned, it was very productive. Yeah, he was just kind of getting balls chucked at him willy-nilly, but a ton of targets, a lot of big plays. 
he's still one of the best contested catch, you know, guys in the NFL. So heading into the draft, I thought the Patriots' biggest need was cornerback. And I thought the best cornerback in the draft was Christian Gonzalez. And I thought if they wanted to fill need with him, they would have to trade up maybe top eight, who knows, top five. They get Christian Gonzalez at 17, trading down. How val how good a pick do you think that is? Value-based, Patriots word, value at 17. And what statistically do you think he can bring to the table as he comes into a league where Sauce Gardner, Patrick Sertan, young corners are making instant impacts? Yeah, so it's kind of almost a running joke on our podcast. I, I thought he was the best corner in this class. I think he might, might be my favorite prospect in the entire class. I mean, younger dude at 21, the best athlete by a country mile. I mean, you see him at the combine at the podium when I went. He looks like a linebacker with his build, but is still fast, fluid, has good lateral agility. I have no idea how he fell to 17 after a trade down. Um, I mean, that was just masterful work. I, I think he makes a massive impact because you can trust him to play True press man coverage against top receiving options. He's not going to maybe erase half a field as a rookie, but like you can do things with him that I do not think they had that skill set on the roster, even with good players. I like Jonathan Jones. I'm glad they brought him back. I like the young guys they had last year. Um, you know, the, the, the day two and day three picks, they can't do what Christian Gonzalez can do. So, yeah, it, it's a massive, massive addition. And I think, look, he's good in zone. He's good in man. Like he can do a lot of different things. And I think Belichick and him are going to work up some magic in the near future. Yeah, it could be an absolute steal. We were celebrating when he fell to 17. We're not really sure if the Patriots thought he would fall to 17. There's, of course, the talk, which is just, you know, fun fodder for radio conspiracy theorists and people hanging out in bars too long that Belichick specifically traded out of 14 so he could screw the Jets. But then again, that wouldn't surprise anyone because that's how Bill Belichick's. Uh, as far, as far as last year as well, too, with the cornerbacks, there were times last year where I remember, because um, I always like to bring these things up because I look for any shreds of joy or, you know, threads of gold, whatever, you know, I, I, I'm steering into the way analytics are now driving the game. Andy's the old school representation of just like, yeah, you show me on the field. I don't want to see your numbers and your fancy computer stuff. I get excited when I see, oh, pro football focus says Jack Jones has been the best cornerback over the last four weeks in man coverage or Jonathan Jones is a top five corner. Uh, do you do do the numbers bear out that you guys think that these guys will be significant contributors this year or are those just sort of like anomalous flashes because they have good games like, you know, the Pats feasting on bad quarterbacks? Yeah, I wouldn't go so far as to say anom anomalous flashes, but their end of season grades certainly were not as high as, you know, a lot of those graphics were to start the year. Still, you know, graded well, but I don't think either were, you know, finished the season as top 20 graded cornerbacks. And that's kind of the nature of the position where there is extreme volatility um, and variance. And yeah, you make a couple splash plays, turn the ball over, get some pass breakups. Um, in a bunch of games like we kind of talked about, uh, you know, you play Zach Wilson. I think every you and I would grade pretty well against Zach Wilson in the secondary. So, um, but still, I do think they are good players that are going to have significant roles. Obviously, you know, weirdness with Jones, with you know, other stuff going on. Who knows off the field? Um, but, but yeah, no, I think they are good athletes, good players. He obviously fell, I think, further than a lot of people thought because of some other off-field stuff during college. But, but is a talented and really athletic player um, that I think if they can now. The thing, too, is I think in some ways they were playing out of position and kind of being forced to do things maybe don't, that didn't align with their skill set. I do think Gonzalez, like, that's also what he brings, is that you now can just put everyone where they really are meant to be played. So we talked about the Bill O'Brien addition, and maybe that's the biggest addition to the offense and, and fixing the dysfunction. Obviously, they brought in some players, Mike Kosicki, Juju Smith-Schuster. 
There's a guy that I think uh, could sneakily be the best addition of the offseason, and that is James Robinson, because I think there were times last year Ramondre Stevenson broke out, but looked like he wanted to tap out of games, and there was nobody to tap out to. Damian Harris was hurt. He got worn down. And I kind of look at James Robinson and what he did in Jacksonville. And that first year, he had like 1,400 yards from scrimmage, ran the ball, caught the ball. He's almost maybe a, a 1B to Ramondre, where he can kind of replicate all the roles that Ramondre fills. Am I too positive on James Robinson? No, and that obviously is kind of the question mark here. You know, the Jets trade a fifth-round pick for him and kind of let him go for nothing right after, even though they could have just, you know, tagged him as a restricted free agent. So I imagine that is tied to health. But, no, if not, I agree with you. I, I do like, in particular, getting him in on early downs to keep Ramondre fresh for a lot of those third downs and and catching the ball. He's already a solid pass protector for a young running back. So, yeah, I'm very high on Ramondre, but I agree. You can't have him in a, in a workhorse-type role. You can't have any running back in today's NFL uh, in a workhorse-type role, really. So, yeah, I think Robinson can be a sneaky great addition as well. So maybe from someone like yourself who follows all of these players uh, for their various uh, intangibles and the, maybe some of the things that we as casual fans or just, you know, Foxborough faithful watchers don't understand. What do you think it would have been that would have told the New England Patriots, let's let Jacoby Myers go, even though he fits and he's well loved in the locker room and let's bring in Juju Smith Schuster. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I do think once we saw the details, I know initially it looked like they signed the exact same contract. I think Jacoby himself tweeted like cold world or something like that. <laughs> oh, and then the details yeah. came out and realistically Schmidt Schuster signed for a decent chunk less. Um, so that uh, you could argue maybe is as big of a part of it as anything. It is kind of interesting though. I mean, he was such a good fit. They are similar players. I, I think Juju offers you more out wide. I think he's kind of actually underrated as a blocker. Doesn't really get enough credit for you know doing a lot of the dirty work. And I think people kind of confuse his TikTok ability with it, thinking he's like a pretty boy on the field. He doesn't play like a TikToker, uh, you know, once the uh, the ball gets snapped. So, yeah, it's a good question, though. I, I did find it kind of interesting. I, I don't have a great answer for you. But, you know, I think it might be that they want to have a guy they trust a little bit more out wide. If they want to keep Taekwon, it seems like they like him as kind of that vertical threat out of the slot. I think maybe that could make some sense. So Fitzy and I know from experience that uh, you're often tied to your employer and everything that goes on in that world. So WEEI, if it happens on the morning show with Greg Hill, somehow Fitzy and I are involved, even though we're off doing the Six Rings podcast. So I'm going to hold you accountable, Brad, because it's at PFF Brad. You're tied in. <laughs> so I read a simulation projection for the New England Patriots that says 11 and 6. Okay, we can have that discussion point. 11 seems a little high to me, but we can discuss that. Then I read the details, and the 11 wins include wins over the Eagles, the Chiefs, and the Bills twice. And my simple response is, no effing way, and what the <laughs> F is this computer spitting out? So feel free to defend it. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. So the sim was just dropped. I, it's pretty funny. I guess we can't tell people like not to talk about it. If anything, that's fine. But that's a beta that people are testing um, and, and is nowhere near a finished product in any way, shape, or form. I'm defending it. I've seen funny. I've seen funnier results than the one you just talked about, uh, including the Eagles going, I think, 4-13. and 13, I saw it get tweeted out as well. So oh my it's God. like a super, super duper early stages. Like it's not, a, you know, I would say it's 20% done. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, that, that, that's what I'll say on that. <laughs> yeah. I know because the second that ha second that happened, people started spreading it like wildfire. Like, yeah, see, course. look, they did make some changes. Like, they're going to be great. Like, winning against the Eagles. Like, the Pats have. Now, there's no. Everyone can agree the Patriots have an incredibly difficult schedule right now, at least per winning percentage of opponents last year. Most of the teams that had good records last year, I don't think 
we expect to tail off. And then some of the teams that didn't have good records last season, I think we expect to improve. Like we'll say the Denver Broncos, for example, who the Patriots play on Christmas Eve. I, I know n- neither Andy or I, we host who the post game show game for Christmas Eve. Evil, eight, a evil. Sunday night football game on Christmas Eve. Fun for a bunch of other people to have on in the background while they do stocking gifts and whiskey eggnogs. Not fun for the guys that have to host the postgame show starting at 1147 at night until <laughs> two in the morning. We'll be seeing Santa's sleigh coming through, Brad. <laughs> but that's okay. This is the grind for football. Um, how do you think, uh, what do you think of the Patriots, uh, before we get into some of the draft picks and salary stuff, what do you think of the Patriots schedule from an early three-month-out perspective? Oh, so we do a uh, a different, entirely different simulation based. Uh, it is tied as regressed back to the market. So we are looking at Vegas and season win totals and early lines and all that. But also then our internal power rankings. They have our hardest schedule. We 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 uh, we have them first in the NFL. Yeah, like you said, wow. I don't always love looking at prior season win totals and stuff like that, or you know record. But a lot of those teams should be good again. And then I think some teams they get, they catch, they maybe weren't good, uh, are trending in the right direction. So, yeah, they have our hardest SOS, which is never – but, hey, last year coming into the season, the team that we had first by the end of the year I think was like 17th because, we, you know, we adjust as the season goes on. Hey, injuries happen. Think, you know, the Broncos are the Broncos. You, you never know what's going to happen. Hardest so, SOS. That's what we're going to be sending out by Halloween. <laughs> it's a tough schedule, man. Like that first four games is lumber for the Pats. Uh, we're already complaining. We're already making excuses for the losses. All right. All right. Um, so we talked about Christian Gonzalez. I think most people agree he looks great. Patriots fans went nuts on a five-second clip from rookie minicamp just looking at his fluidity and shorts. What about the rest of the draft? Because there's been a lot of interesting reactions. They had 12 picks. They went special teams, kicker, a punter, some coverage guys. Um, one guy in particular that we've talked a lot about is Kayshawn Booty out of LSU, who almost unfairly seems to be facing high expectations now. It's like all of a sudden people just want to paint that game from uh, his freshman year, 300 yards. And it's like they're forgetting this is a late round pick that if he just makes the roster and contributes with any regularity. But, you know, Fitzy, we've talked about it. We've already seen, would you take over 45 catches for Kayshawn Booty on the season and things like that? He's the next Steph Diggs. Yeah, the next Steph Diggs has been labeled to him, which, you know, no pressure there. A guy who changed the Bills' entire offense when he arrived in Buffalo. So what are your thoughts on Booty and maybe any of the other draft picks that stick out to you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so look, I get it from a talent standpoint. I mean, coming into this season, people thought he could be the number one wide receiver in the draft class. Uh, growth is not linear, as we all know. And and like you said, you're, we're, we're tying him to performances as a, as a freshman Look, I mean, his testing was very poor. For some reason, the combine doesn't really show up on tape. Uh, there are a handful of off-field things, which I don't want to speculate on, but he fell for a reason. No one that's around the NFL was surprised where he got taken, um, even even given all of his, his talent ability. So, look, like I get why you know people think he could become a total steal and all that, but you should still tether his expectations to his draft slot. That is the best predictor of a player's you know future outlook of their career, and he got taken where he got taken. So, um, I like their class a lot. I know it's a lot of names that weren't household names. Um, maybe that kind of turns some people off. I'll, I'll just touch on a couple. So Keon White was funny where this happens every year. There was first round buzz. And I was like, that would be an insane first round pick. I watched the tape. He's clearly a freak athlete. Obviously switched over from like tight end to defensive end. He can play inside. You can kick him on the inside for pass rush snaps. Um, 
So I initially hated him because I was like, there's no way he's a first-round pick. But now you take him at 46, whatever it was, that's a great pick, right? Like I, I have no issue with that at all. I think he will play pretty early on because of his positional flexibility. He's raw. Like, the technique isn't really there. But, but his athletic ability definitely jumps out. Um, and I like. The, I think that Bill will like – you can pretty much put him anywhere um, in the formation depending on the down. So I think he'll be an interesting player. And then one more that jumped out to me was City So. So I'll admit, I, I did not watch him before the draft. Um, ton of experience. I think he played five seasons at Eastern Michigan. I think he's inside-outside flex. Could maybe be a tackle at some point if they wanted. Um, but you know them. They take these big, you know, physical dudes that are still pretty good athletes, um, better in gap systems and zone systems, which makes sense for their offense. Um, but still, you know, kind of like a Michael Onwenu. They're, they're not bad athletes. They're just not these nimble, you know, 300-pounders that, that can dance in space. But, like, I, I think they are going to have a better offensive line. I do wonder about the tackle spots a little bit. But, but yeah, anyway, I think they improved. I think it was a good class. And what about uh, anything on uh, Marte Mapu? Because it seems like the uh, – all right, everyone at home, drink – the Patriots are going with more of this contemporary positionless defense. That's one of our, you know, raise your shot glass words here on the podcast. Uh, yeah. Marte, you know, like, but this is sort of like, it's, it's like you've got defensive linemen and then you've just got a bunch of guys that are all somewhere between 210 and 235 pounds that play safety linebacker, hybrid uh, box safety, et cetera. Like there's a lot of flexibility to it. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where he's going to play. I heard Daniel Jeremiah going off that he was like a steal of the draft for the Pats and one of his favorite players. Uh, do you have anything on him or did you get a chance to look at his tape and uh, get a feel for what he may be able to bring? Yeah. So always kind of tough when you're watching, you know, a smaller school guy, but he did look good at uh, the, the senior bowl or shrine bowl, whatever bowl he went to. Um, I forget which one it was now. Like did not, you know, clearly knew what he was doing and, and his athleticism flash and 86 run defense for us grade last year. And yet like, we can mock and make fun of it. It is a classic Patriots pick, but their approach, I think, is genius to basically playing like one off ball linebacker at a time and then having your peppers, Adrian Phillips, you know, Kyle Duggar, obviously, that are that can fill the slot. They can play down in the box. They can do everything. He's that guy as well. I think he'll mix in. He'll do a lot of different things, probably mostly down in the box. But, yeah, I think he's a good player. So we have, uh, with the Patriots, three in particular young developing fourth-year players, contract-year type guys that I'm interested in what their value is perceived to be from you and, and sort of on the open market. You just mentioned one in Kyle Duggar, who has developed into a really key piece of the back end, versatile as a second round pick. Josh Uche blew up late last year with 11 and a half sacks, finally, finally reached the potential everybody talked about. And then Mike Onwenu, a guy you talked about who was a tackle for them. You guys, PFF, loved him as a tackle early. They've slid him into guard and seem to really decide they like him at guard. But those three guys, I think a lot of Patriots fans are hoping maybe they get re-signed. Where do you think maybe the money goes with those three guys in particular? Yeah, so I actually put out uh, two articles this week. Uh, the first one was eight players from the 2020 draft class on offense, and that included Michael Onwenu. Uh, and then defense was yesterday, and that included Kyle Duggar. So um, for Onwenu, I do think, like, Antonio Maffi is like a clone of him coming out of college. 340 pounds, big dude. Yeah, like that's yeah. – it, it just, to me, screams the Patriots are already – having their succession plan in place. Um, look, he kept he, he still grades very well for us at right guard. I think most of us would tell you he probably does belong as a right guard. He was just able to hold up at, at right tackle, you know, impressively for a rookie. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with the, the hand signal there. I, I'm sure the Patriots are already figuring out the next step. If it matters, I hadn't projected around $14, $15 million a year um, on a second deal, but I would be surprised Oops. if they, if they, they yeah, <laughs> exactly. Good luck. Exactly. Um, Cheetah fingers. Bob- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, we, we know how they operate. So, um, Kyle Duggar will also be interesting. I mean, obviously they have that skill set. I don't think any of the guys they have are his caliber. Jabril Peppers is a fun player, but is not a long-term solution on your roster. Phillips, I want to say 30 years old now, and, and Mapu, there's no guarantee. Um, but look, you, you took Duggar top 40 for a reason. I think he's versatile, very good player. Um, he makes plays near the line of scrimmage, like does everything you want out of a guy that you use as a jackknife-type player. Um, I had him at four years, $60 million, uh, on an early extension, kind of same wheelhouse as a Michael Anwenu. Look, that wouldn't even be top five at safety. Yeah, probably also peace sign. Um, yeah. Stay, <laughs> but anyway, stay. so, yeah, I, I, look, I, they maybe they're more open to that one, but it, it would not be a cheap price tag. No, and how about and- Uche? Just, he interests me just because double-digit sack guys, even if it's flashes in a pan, a half a season, it's such a premium position that – and he also plays in the, the shadow or luxury of playing opposite Matthew Judon, so I think that would affect his value in some light. So he's he's interesting. I, I he plays so little that like it's it's not it's not a problem to be a designated pass rusher and have a very specific role. His pass rush win rate and pressure rate for us were legitimately top five among players. If you lower the snap threshold down to include him in the sample, um, it's just hard. Like, uh, can they convince him to kind of take a bit of a not discount, but kind of a deal that accounts for the fact he's not a full time three down player? Um, I don't even want to, you know, give out a number. It's a bad number. I, I didn't even look into it because I, I really, it's hard with those type of players, um, you know, to, to know kind of how the team views them, even if they do are very valuable in an asset of football or a facet of football that is obviously extremely valuable. Um, but he's just not a full time player. Uh, all right, uh, you've shown lights on a number of things, and I'm starting to get an idea for how things work. Obviously, I would have a, a piles of homework to do to just start to understand or be able to crack the code behind PFF. But I think the 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 big million dollar question as far as where the numbers bear and what you guys think are under center wearing number 10, Mac Jones, who I believe if I'm not mistaken, Brad, I saw the PFF preseason ranking was 21st out of 32 starting quarterbacks heading into the league. So how much room do you think there is for uh, vertical movement for Mac in terms of climbing the charts and, you know, let's say even cracking the top half of PFF's quarterback rankings this season. Yeah. I mean, look, he was the highest graded rookie in his class by a good margin and obviously a good class. Um, the, the thing though, I think the kind of the knock on him coming out was like, how high is the ceiling? How much growth potential is there in Mac Jones overall? Or do we kind of already know the player that we have there and he can operate an offense. He can be a guy you win with, maybe not because of type of player. Um, look, he definitely can jump up. I, I do think like working with Matt Patricia, um, it, it was just like, why would you do that to a second year quarterback? Why would you, I mean, look, not that every job should be handed to you. It's the Patriots, but like bring in Bailey Zappi and give him time and create this like controversy that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Also all due respect, he's better than Bailey Zappi. Like I like Zappi, but like Mac Jones is better than Bailey Zappi. Um, so look, I, I think he could be a top half of the NFL quarterback, but you also look at the AFC alone, just the conference alone. I'm not even sure Russell Wilson and Tua Tagovailoa are top 10 quarterbacks in the AFC. Like it's just, it's an absolute gauntlet of a conference. Um, but yeah, anyway, long answer short, he, he can make the jump up. I, I do just wonder, like how high his ceiling really is, even though I know he's a young player. 
So those comps are key in sports, right? And we're we're learning with the Red Sox where every day we hear they might be in last place, but if they were in other divisions, they wouldn't be. They're a much better. Well, the reality is the Patriots are in a tough position in terms of the AFC East, in terms of the AFC. Max in a tough position, the quarterbacks in his division, in his conference. We've touched on a variety of things, the schedule, the 11-win projections, all these things. Where do you sort of see this season going for the Patriots? Are we going to be talking about growth and improvement? Are we talking about another... Eh, flip of a coin, 500, 8-9, and 9-8 nine, nine season. When you put it all together, where do you see these Patriots this fall? I think it will be, and the schedule does matter. I, I, I agree it's an excuse to a degree, but I think they win nine games around there. Um, and the defense will have to carry them, but I think it will. Um, I think it's going to be an improved unit. And like we talked about at the top of the show, it already was, you know, showed up very well in a lot of areas. So, yeah, just just play sound football, protect the football on offense, and, and just have more comfort comfort on that side of the ball, and the defense just needs to show up and, and win some games for them, which they're obviously capable of doing. Look, I've, I've enjoyed all of your analysis on the draft, last year's team, this year's team, key contributors and more, but I knew I was going to be a fan when I read on your timeline because we're kind of hive mind on this, Brad. Uh, you retweeted uh, Pro Football Focus underscore bet. True or false, the Jags went over 9.5 games. Somebody that you work with, Judah Fortgang, said, I think the Jags are going to be an absolute wagon this year. I hate to say it. I agree. I think the Jags are a sleeping giant. And what you saw when they went toe-to-toe and were one bad Trevor Lawrence pass away from possibly knocking off the Chiefs last year, you add a motivated, fresh-legged Calvin Ridley and another year of experience in that offense for Trevor Lawrence. Watch out. Like, do not sleep on the Jags. I think the Jags in term. Everyone loves the Chiefs. I think the Bills may regress a little bit this year. Uh, if Aaron Rodgers, Lord knows, he's hurt halfway through his first fake practice. So, the, God, I, I, I could do. We could do a whole half an hour on what you guys think of the Jets. I'd be fascinated. But the the Jag wagon. Watch out, huh? Watch out for the Jag wagon. Unlike the AFC East, they're probably you know have the easiest six games on their schedule of anyone uh, with who they're playing in, in the AFC South. But yeah, no, uh, the big thing for me is. I think we're just forgetting that even if Calvin Ridley is like 80% of the Calvin Ridley we knew, he just dropped the number one wide receiver on, on a team that was already good. Um, yeah, I, I think they're going to be a 12, you know, win plus type, type football team. Any right. other teams that you're uh, yeah. you're high on? Maybe I mean, everybody knows the regular picks to go to the Super Bowl to be, but we know it's the NFL. There will be a team that everybody's like, wow, I didn't see that coming uh, come November and has a great record. Any teams you're high on? I would say like people are somewhat high on them, but I'm probably higher on the Seattle Seahawks than a lot of folks. Like I think they could be a legitimate win the NFC West if the quarterback situation in San Francisco is not clear. I think Arizona and the Rams stink um, and the NFC conference at large stinks. And I mm-hmm. think Seattle could be another team that could win quietly win like 11, 12 football games um, and, and maybe win a couple playoff games as well. Yeah, they had a really good draft as well. And you add Jackson Smith and Jigba to that receiving core as well. Uh, with Geno Smith, who I don't think is going to be a one-year comeback wonder as well. Good call. Um, uh, Brad, we'd love to have you back on sometime soon. Just FYI, obviously, uh, you know, PFF for us stands for uh, publicity for football. Uh, so we'll try to do everything we can. But I, I make these things up as I go, Andy. Give me it's a terrible. Do, just I, smile stop and be polite. It, stop, just, okay, Bob. <laughs> All right. I also send beer boxes. So if you have a particular kind of, we, we, we pay in beer as well. So um, you can give them a follow at PFF underscore Brad as well. Uh, he is, per the Twitter bio line, R&D salary cap analyst for Pro Football Focus, contributor for OverTheCap.com. Uh, great stuff, Brad. Really enjoyed having you on the podcast, man. Thanks for hopping on with us and uh, 
maybe in a couple months, once the season gets close and we have an idea who the roster is and what it's going to be all about, we can have you back on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And of course. Awesome. Thanks, thanks buddy. Appreciate it. Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus here on Six Rings and Football Things.